0: This is Haley Beebe, the CarbLine Color Admin. Welcome to the CarbLine Tech Service Podcast, the go-to industrial coatings podcast. Here are your hosts, Jack Walker and Paula James.
1: All right, Paul, here we are, another edition of the CarbLine Tech Service Podcast, and you accidentally gave me oh man. a golden little <laughs> nugget
0: today. <laughs> <laughs> so as a little bit of a background i accidentally responded to my son's text message in a text message thread i had going with jack possibly one of the worst things i could have done yeah. because it was totally unrelated to anything out of context i was just like oh my god this is amazing
1: <laughs> i mean so all of a sudden i just get a picture text of a google ad yeah. or something. yeah it was google Of a moped from the early 80s. And it said, mine was bright red. (laughs) And I immediately, those of you who know Paul or Paula, started picturing him on a moped. And I could not handle it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The me of the current version is not the same as the 13-year-old me. And uh, I was more appropriately sized for a moped at that point. (laughs) (laughs) And I was also 13. So I, well, that was know, like the coolest you could have as a motorized bike at 13. I mean, I had to go take a driver's test for it. Well, sure.
1: I guess. Like, was that legal? Was oh, that yeah. Red Dragon? Exactly. Did you call it the Red Dragon?
0: No. Was she street legal? No, it had some little name on it <laughs> that I called it. I can't remember what it was now. Your,
1: your radio flyer. Yeah. Now I just need to get content to uh, do a. You writing a little radio flyer for <laughs> our post next week.
0: Wait, I am content. <laughs> I did try to I did send a message to my parents to see if they had that picture. Should just bring a copy to Thanksgiving. Yeah, I was trying to help you out. For me. Yeah, I know. I, t- <laughs> I, figured, I figured the context would be great because it would show me as a different person. So I uh, you know, in the and it was in the eighties. So mullet Yeah, that jean jacket? No, probably not a jean jacket in that picture, but you know, like mullet. If I didn't have a mullet, yes, there was a tail. I mean, I was the 80s kid.
1: Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> but anyway,
1: that's not really what we came to talk about today, but I couldn't <laughs> not like on the day of recording when you're given a gift like that, you have to take it. Yeah. I mean, 2020 gave me something. <laughs> <at least. laughs> But we want to talk a little bit about the difference between curing
0: and drying. It's an underrated difference. They are truly separate things. Yeah. On one hand, cured is the
1: complete finalization of that coating coming to a
0: full and complete solid state. That's right. You have transformed all of the moving parts into a solid matrix. All of the solvent is gone if it was a solvented coating. Everything is locked in its place and it's not going to change anymore. And we're talking about typical epoxies, urethanes, even acrylics, some things that we deal with in industrial coatings. There's always going to be exceptions.
1: Yeah. You've moved from your wet millage to your dry millage. If there was a reduction, if you had, you know, solvents in there, all of the transformations are done when you've reached full cure.
0: However, when you, you could be dry before then. Absolutely. And one of the things that we want to look at is all of the different conditional states of dry, because once you're fully cured, you're done. But when you're dry, there's a lot of different states And honestly, so there's kind of the background of what it is that we're talking about. The two main documents that we're looking at, there is an ISO document. uh, ISO 9177 is the ISO document that talks about paints and varnishes, determination of through dry state and through dry time and the test methods to determine that. That document uses a lot of the same phrases and words as the ASTM standard that most of us here in the United States are probably more familiar with. And the ASTM D1640, which is the standard test method for drying, curing, or film formation of organic coatings at room temperature. Mm -hmm. And that really is a document that when we talk about things in the United States specifically and people use the phrases, you know, hey, is it dry to touch? Is it, you know, touch tacky, tack free, you know, cured through? Those are the phrases. A lot of those are included in this document and have an actual definition. Mm -hmm. So... It comes back around to that old saying, you know, we've we've said it probably 10 times a day. Words have meanings. Sure. And this document helps define what those meanings are. It does. And so
1: when we look at that document, you'll notice that a lot of the characteristics and categories match up really well with the different paint manufacturers product data sheets. There's a reason for that because these these stop points within a product's cure are all very important depending on what your project is doing. You know, if you're applying in a shop, you need to know when it's going to reach dry to handle because you want it out of your shop and onto the job site as quickly as possible. Because when it's in your shop, it's just taking up space and preventing you from getting to coat more things, which is how you make money. So the first thing that we look at, uh, really when we get into product data sheets, we kind of skip a couple of them. So I want to talk about first set to touch, which is way different than dry to touch. Words have meaning, follow along.
0: (laughs) Right. So when we talk about a set to touch in the ASTM D1640, this is really the first level of dryness. The first time that you can touch an object, a painted object, and you end up with no transfer from your finger to a clean, clear glass. Now, you can have paint stick to your finger. Yeah. So that is a huge distinction as from when you go through the rest of this test is that's the first one that it can stick to your finger, but it shouldn't transfer from your finger to another object. And the idea of
1: set the touch is that the product is cured enough that it's set up. A a lot of the evaporation has happened and we're we're getting more. And it's like that first... A mark along the way to that solid state what the one that we really start to see on the product data sheets is dry to touch and that's when we think about that that's you put your finger on the surface and there's no transfer to your finger that is a light touch
0: that's right and honestly there's two levels in between those two And most paint companies don't refer to those other meanings. We've got a dust-free and a tack-free. The tack-free is sometimes referred to primarily because it's a mechanical test. Mm -hmm. It allows for a way to measure it. But most of the time, dry to touch, you touch it with your finger, and it doesn't stick to your finger. That's the one that most companies are going to look at to be able to communicate for field use. It's easy to do. Mm You know, Most of the time in the field, somebody's got a clean finger available, and you can touch a painted surface and see if it's dry yet. Sure. And so
1: that is important for anybody who's working in crowded areas, anything like that. Like you want to know when the material is not going to transfer off into anybody. It's, it's an important stop point again within the, I keep using stop point like as an inspection. That's not really the, <laughs> the word, but it's a step along the process of, of the cure. It's a and milestone. So when we, yeah. All right, guys, for a long time. We've been asked, what's the next step? Where, where are we going next after the Carboline Tech Service podcast? So I left Paul behind, stole some of his guys, and we <laughs> created a whole new thing. It's called The Solution Spot. It's the new blog brought to you by Carboline. It's uh, got videos, got this podcast, got some really
0: good articles. It really does. It's got articles. Of, some of them are written by the guys in tech service. Some of them are written by some people in the field. And it's a great vision of how to get additional information. The videos, some of the videos Jack and I created, some of them we've had other groups create them and it's, they're all gathered into one spot. They're easy to find, easy to go through. Easily searchable. Yes. Yes.
1: So if you want to find a list of podcasts and you want to find topics and you want to search it, the solution spot is your answer. So if you go to carboline.com and then at the top, there's a little button that says blog. It's right next to news and events. Click on that. When you go there, you have this whole information hub and that's why we couldn't just call it the blog. It has got all of our podcasts. So if you wanna know, hey, when did they talk about water tanks? Put it in, search it, and it brings up the relevant episodes, articles, and videos. It's www.carverline.com and the solution spot. And so then the next one we come to is dry hard. And there's actually a distinction between dry hard and dry to handle or dry through. So, Paul, why don't you talk about that?
0: Yeah. So when we look at a dry hard surface, one of the things that you need to be able to do is it's similar to the thumb twist, except you don't twist. So what you want to do is be able to put your thumb onto a painted surface and press down with firm but gentle pressure. And when you pick your thumb up, there should be nothing stuck to your thumb. It is possible that you've left a little bit of an imprint but you shouldn't have had any major deformation of the surface and there should be nothing transferred to your thumb. And that's really when a lot of companies consider things at a approaching safe uh, time to handle it, to move it, maybe to put another coat of paint on it. That's what your recoat procedures are going to be using as some of its monumental steps. Because as we get to the next one with that dry to handle or dry through, that's a true thumb twist test. And that means that in most cases you can put firm pressure you can put twisting pressure so if you do the thumb twist where you have firm pressure on it and you rotate your thumb 90 degrees you can have no deformation of the coating through that process that means the entire coating thickness has removed enough of the solvent that it doesn't move when there's directional pressure put on it and that's a critical factor If you actually have to move large, heavy pieces, concrete, steel, whatever it is, mainly we see it with steel and mainly it's because they'll have to wrap straps around it or pick it up with a forklift of some sort. So anytime you compress it or twist it or shift the weight loads, it's going to cause deformation of the paint. This is the first time when those are considered to be safe. Sure. There is another step after dry hard. We go from dry hard to dry to handle. But from dry to handle, we go to dry to recoat. Sure. In a dry to recoat state, typically this is given to you by the manufacturers and it's the point at which the dried coating is able to tolerate a second coat of paint put on top of it. And the critical difference with this, as opposed to all the other tests that we've done so far, it's been no solvents, hand pressure, short interim spaces. But when you apply apply a second coat of paint, You're putting solvent, whether it's water, if you're using water-based paints or solvents, MEK, xylene, whatever it is that's in the paint. You're putting it in direct contact with the surface in a uniform manner, and it's not going anywhere for some period of time. Mm -hmm. So the existing coating has to be resistant enough to resist the attack from that solvent that's now sitting on top of it until that solvent moves on sure and that's where
1: you see in cases of like thick film coatings and things like that you could really get into some solvent entrapment and things like that if if that if you go to recoat and you're not ready if that coating isn't ready to take that next coat
0: that's right and you know from this step this is the last one that's really covered in ASTM D1640 because at this point the coating film is considered to be completely dry and you've gotten all the solvent out. Mm-hmm. Now, that is truly still a relative term that you've gotten all the solvent out. Sure. Because your coating is not fully cured yet in most cases at this dry to recoat state. Sure. Yeah. Because if it was, you could come into some troubles with that recoating. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Because Depending on the technology. Absolutely. Right? So- What we get into then in the next step is we really want to look at how do you determine then whether it is fully cured. Now, one of the things we did talk about this next test and that's ASTM D5402. We talked about in great detail, we did our whole episode, episode 61 on this topic. Mm -hmm. And it is how to do the solvent, essentially the solvent double rub test, but it's, you know, the standard practice for assessing the solvent resistance of organic coatings using solvent rubs. So. That is the commonly referred to as the MEK double rub test or the MEK test. Although we cover in episode 61, it's not always MEK. Correct. Uh, The MEK test is actually a different test for inorganic zinc uh, because
1: it specifically calls out MEK for the use. I forget that. uh, We'll say ASTMD 1234. Or you can say ASTMD 4752. I don't know. ASTM D8675309. There you go. One of the things, though, that's important that I want to think about this. So if we if if you followed along and you listened uh, to our different cure parameters and definitions, Paul, do you think if you were to do that solvent rub test on an uncured coating, what do you think would be the result? Oh, you're going to get a failure. But how are you going to get a failure? How is it
0: going to physically manifest itself as a failure? Typically, what you're going to have is an existing coating that is not resistant to the solvent. And you are going to, in some level, remove that coating onto the rag. You will see coating transfer from the surface onto your rag. Now, listening to what we just told you
1: about the different cure parameters, right, and how they evolve, And a transfer is a lot of that formula, right? Absolutely. Because the first one, remember, you could still transfer it to your finger. It makes total logical sense that when you get all the way down those steps to completely cured, that transfer is no longer part of the problem. So if you perform a solvent test and you have transfer, you have a failure. So what we're going to do is uh if you have any questions reach out to Paul cuz this is very important and maybe we'll continue this on in a couple of weeks and talk a little bit about like a real life scenario and when you would actually need to use this test in the field to help determine a problem. Because I think I think we need to connect the dots a little bit. We're we're out of time today, but I think we need to talk about like what situation in the field would lead you to run any of these tests and, and and the conclusions that you would draw from them?
0: That's right. And the critical factor of knowing when to use which one. You know, maybe we
1: can have Bill back on, yeah. talk a little bit about how valuable the uh, solvent rub test is when it comes to evaluating coding uh, failure, because it is probably the most easy to run most
0: conclusive test that you do with coding analysis. I believe the first two things that the guys do when they get a sample in, they measure the thickness, they look at it, and then they solvent rub it. That was three. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. I I almost said I can't See. let you have
1: it. I mean, I need a I need a laugh in the last <laughs> seconds of the podcast. So anyway, guys, thanks for uh, tuning in. Uh, for Paul, I'm j- <laughs> I don't even know my name. Thanks, COVID 2020. For Paul, I'm Jack. We'll see you next week.
0: And so, for the Carbonline Tech Service Podcast, I'm Paul. And I'm Jack. And we'd, we'd like, like to, to thank you, you for your support. Who put
1: the line?